0: So Caroline and I are going to do something a little bit different this morning. I don't think we've ever done this like conversational preaching before at Blue Ocean, but we've been mm-hmm. wrapping up our series on what it's like or what it feels like to experience God. And so in the last three weeks, we've been talking a little bit about what that might feel like in our bodies or what it's like to be a little bit more in tune with just seeing God at work in the world around us. But a question that I think is really interesting and one that many people have to ask is, how do we discern what we're hearing is from God? And most especially, how do you discern if maybe you're wired a little bit differently? Maybe you're neuroatypical or maybe you have um, different mental health issues that, um, that are part of your story. And so Caroline has a remarkable gift, I think, that she helps to give our congregation in that she is, um, would you say, you experienced bipolar disorder? You've been diagnosed been with bipolar? I've been diagnosed with
1: bipolar disorder and experienced symptoms of mania and depression and, and, and when I was hospitalized, um, psychosis, I yeah. would say.
0: So. so then the question becomes, like, if you've experienced psychosis, and often one of the symptoms of psychosis is that you experience kind of a hyper-religious... Um, like hearing from God and so what is it that sort of differentiates that experience or how do we parse out what's from God and what's not from God and I think just in the way that Caroline has had to grapple with that personally I think there's actually quite a few takeaways that we all can talk about in terms of how we discern God's voice. So Caroline I just want to before I invite you to start out I just want to say um, one thank you for sharing vulnerably with us I think it's a real gift for our congregation and two, I think it can be one of those things, mental health is a hard thing for people, not only to speak publicly about, for, for us to find, like, feel like we have um, the right language to talk about it and to talk about it respectfully. So I just wanna say that if I say anything that you find a little bit disrespectful or maybe I'm not saying it in a way that feels fully humanizing for you, feel free to jump in and correct me and that way we can model um, maybe how to speak a little bit about it for the congregation. Yeah. So to start us out, um, I just want to ask you. Well, you, you, did you want to? I'll let you talk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't really practice this. I thought it might be better if we sort of free flow. A dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I get a little nervous, and I thought maybe I'd start with a joke. And um, but I do, I do first want to just say thank you all for creating a supportive community that somewhere where I can, where people who have experienced mental illness can be vulnerable and share their experiences. And it's just um, a profound community to be able to be a part of that, where you can be um, totally transparent about your experiences and not ashamed or embarrassed. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So um, my joke uh, yeah, is um, I heard it when I was, I used to work in the mental health field, which was really interesting being um, a, a like a provider and then a receiver of care. Um, But anyway, so I heard this joke while I was training. Um, They said that um, someone who was experiencing um, uh, hearing voices went to their therapist and they said, you know, I I don't know what to do and I'm in public. And the therapist said, well, why don't you try talking on a cell phone. And then when you're, you know, talking and laughing and whatever, then people will just think you're chatting it up with someone else. And so they said, okay. So they got on the train one day and they were on their cell phone chatting it up and no one thought anything of it. They all go through, and everyone else is too. Well, they go through a tunnel, and all everyone's service dies, and everyone stops talking. <laughs> and the person is still chatting and laughing away. And, and so I'm like, "Yeah, thanks a lot, therapist. You're real useful." And then, oh no, Rachel. And hi, Dr. Olson. You know. <laughs> um, so, I, I, but actually, to a faith community, um, I thought the joke was relevant because um, here we are um, Sunday morning, singing, praying, listening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the world thinks that we're, you know, no one's there. So I thought maybe you all
0: could relate to the story <laughs> as well. Um, so, so yeah. Caroline, maybe just to start us out, um, what are some baseline things that help you as you grapple with that question of how do we know if we're hearing the voice of God? Um,
1: yeah, so it's, it's really been a long discernment process for me. Um, actually, Lent is coming up, and my big Lenten prayer some years ago was for some clarity on um, this experience I had with, I I guess we could say psychosis, and my experience that I keep insisting on that God was there with me, that I experienced profound moments with God. And how do I uh, make sense of that? So it's something that I've asked and struggled with. Um, And um, I think that one thing that has helped me most with that discernment process is actually being a part of a faith community. So um, before, I guess I'll sort of share a little bit about my story, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. Um, So um, I was hospitalized in 2008 and definitely had some experiences of um, God and religiosity when when that was happening. Um, And a lot of people advised me, don't read the Bible, don't go to church, don't pray, like just cut it all out. It's too much for you. It's bad for your symptoms. And so I sort of went through a period of years, I get a little emotional, where I was disconnected. And I, I hadn't really been involved in um, a faith community before that, but the, the religiosity kind of spurred that. Um, and so I, but I, so I started sneaking, and I started reading the Bible. And, um, and I was also, I was in social work, so dealing with some um, secondary trauma and stressors from that work. And... Um, I when I read the Bible I thought that everything that um was bad that was bad in it was about me. So one sort of highlight is um when God says get away from me I don't know you. So that was God talking to me like that. And so I went to my mom and I said, "Mom, I'm struggling. I I really I love God and, you know, but I'm experiencing that like God is like I don't know you, get away from me." And that was very hard. And she said, I think you're believing lies. I don't think that's from God. And it, it was like this profound moment. I was like, mm-hmm. you mean I can like reject that? And, you know, and, and read it in a different way. Like on my own, it was very empowering. And she said, you know, there's this woman at my church who, um, our, our, our pastor, and she has gifts of the spirit. She's prays over people. Um, people have experienced oh, healing stop. and God's presence from them. No, I'm serious. Okay. Emily didn't know I was going to say all that, but no. um, she she told me that. And, and she said, you might want to come with me tomorrow and have Emily pray over you.
0: And so I said, okay, I'll try that. So, and I'll just jump in and just say, pastorally, sure. I, you know, you want to treat that very cautiously too, because I don't want to aggravate symptoms and that's a, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it, it, it is a... difficult. It's, it's sensitive and difficult. So mm-hmm. So I did. I, I, I went to Emily and I said, I'm struggling with my mental health. And, and she, I don't, I didn't tell her I was going to say this, but she said, um, you know, oh. struggle and difficulty, even having a mental illness or being stigmatized like in this way um, is almost a qualifier for the kingdom of heaven, that you're welcome and embraced in the kingdom yeah. of heaven. It's not a reason to be rejected from God. And so that really meant a lot to me. Um, so she, um, Prayed if she could ask for the Holy Spirit to come over me, and um, I, I said I never had that before, but sure. And so she um, put her um, her uh, hand on my shoulder, and I did, which feel I like always ask. Just by yeah, the way, like did.
0: when you pray, for, always ask because people have different trauma, you know, that they experience. Like, is it okay if I touch you? Everything very gentle, not revving things up. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so, um, so she did, and. Um, I experienced a warmth, but I was expecting it to be like warm and gooey and like feelings of like (laughs) happiness and goodness. And I felt a really um, powerful tingling feeling. And I thought, oh, I'm sick again, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, really just recently, Ken was preaching about experiencing God. And he said, um, sometimes when people have experienced God, they experience a powerful tingling feeling. And so for me, um, being outside of a faith community, I had no context for experiencing God. So it was scary and distressing and terrifying. But being in a faith community, I can have discerning voices to help me say, like, well, that sounds like not from God, like a lie. Or mm-hmm. that's something that people have experienced before. And, and then later, I, I was really hesitant to, to ask because I didn't want to be thought as crazy. Um, although, mm. fine. But... Um, I know, empowering it, uh, <laughs> embrace it. But, so I, I texted Ken after one of his sermons, and I said, um, I just have a question. Does um, smelling, sweet smells, ha- like does that have anything to do with the spiritual experience? Mm -hmm. Because I was like, thought maybe I was hallucinating or something. And he was like, oh sure, people experience roses and smells roses and went on with our day. And it was like, it was no like, you know, my gosh, get you to the hospital immediately. It was Mm -hmm. more of a validation and I could go on with my day and it wasn't a big deal. And I didn't have to overthink or um, overanalyze these experiences. So I want to maybe give, no, this is
0: good. There are like three things that I was hearing in that one Mm -hmm. was that um, having, um, like experiencing mental health issues, it's helpful for you to be in community, which I think it is for everybody as we're discerning hearing God, because then you can have people when you're sharing it with like your mom or, you know, whoever it is, me or the staff or somebody in your small group who can say, no, that, that actually doesn't sound like God. And that's a good kind of check and balance for any of us. Um, The second part was hearing your mom, um, something that she said to you that felt really empowering to you that I think we should all feel empowered by is that ability to, if you think you're hearing something from God, um, but it's distressing to you to just reject it, to just say, I'm empowered to be like, no, that's a lie. I don't, I don't need to believe that, you know, so that you are fully empowered to sort of let go of distressing thoughts like that. Um, And then the third one, what was it? I had three in my mind as you were talking.
1: Um, well, there's in, the Ignatian discernment with the three, which is similar to...
0: Yeah, well, I will, I will say that, like, just, you know, within the Christian faith, um, there's several ways that we talk about discerning God's voice, and one that's, you know, pretty well known, especially within Catholic spirituality, is called Ignatian discernment. And within the Ignatian tradition, they assume that there's, like, multiple voices that are going on in our own heads, whether you're experiencing any mental health issues or not, just any, anybody who's neurotypical has that and that one is your voice that's your own voice that's your own desires and will another that the ignatians we call like an adversarial voice and that can be thought of in different ways by different people either some people think of it as sort of like an outside adversarial voice some people think of it as sort of the in, the shaming interior voices that we have the you're not enough you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're not a good enough parent Um, but that those voices are at work, and then that there's a third voice, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit or the spirit of a God who is love, and that all of those are at play in us and that we really have to do some work to just tease out which one it is that we're hearing. And some of that just takes practice. The Ignatian tradition actually has three very specific steps that they use that's actually a fairly rigorous process that people undergo when they're making really large life decisions, and that can often be helpful to have, say, like a spiritual director um, go through that with you. I was looking for Sue Brokaw because she's a, actually a, like a licensed spiritual director now who I think is actually taking um, taking clients, so to speak. Like you pay a small fee and she'll walk with you through a discernment process. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things that the church can offer. But for me, I think the concept of there being multiple lenses through which we're filtering information in the Christian tradition is, is just a helpful one for us to know. So Caroline, I will just say, um, let me ask this. What's it like when you can't trust your own thoughts? And what's been helpful to you personally in that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, again, that's like the the difficult thing about having a mental illness is that your brain is almost playing tricks on you. Um, when you're depressed, your brain is telling you negative things. Or when you're manic, it might be telling you, like, you know, you have all the energy in the world and, and all that. So it's, it's hard to discern. Um, but I, I think that... Um, I think that the... When I, when I was diagnosed, I thought, I'm completely crazy. Or it's all from God, and you people who are mm-hmm. hospitalizing me and forcing me to take meds are just totally wrong. And it was sort of an all or nothing. Like, this is, I'm, you know, I'm experiencing God, and you don't know what you're talking about, or you have bipolar disorder, and you're crazy. You know, I keep saying that, but I, I, I yeah, anyway. So um, the discernment, though, is helpful. And that's why I Mm. shared about the the roses and the tingling. But I also know what some of those negative or um, when my um, perceptions start to put too much meaning on everything, I know to back off and to um, talk to my psychiatrist, get some help with medications, or just check my sleeping, my eating, things like that. So can can I just pop in? What
0: I hear you saying is that, like, talking about it in terms of sort of a black and white either or is maybe less helpful for you, because that would be my temptation as someone who hasn't experienced psychosis to just be like, okay, it's either this or it's not this, and that you actually experience God, like, with you in that, and sometimes maybe even speaking to you in that. Yes. Um, And it's actually, i have just, in talking to Caroline, this has been really helpful to me, because um, it's almost like her brain goes on overdrive. Mm So, you know, we talk about when you experience God that sometimes you might smell different things or, you know, people, when they dial down, when we dial down, and when you go into a sort of contemplative state or doing a little bit more meditation, what, we, what they've shown, especially in like monks and nuns, um, is that that activates that part of the brain that you're using when you do that can activate or stimulate other parts of the brain. So that's why some people might experience tingling Mm -hmm. or a different smell, or like I think I shared that I sometimes get a weird taste in my mouth. And I think it's just some of the different ways that the wires are crossing in your brains, which is why people sort of experience that space a little bit differently. It's also the part of the brain that activates our feeling of sort of oneness or unity or that openness to hearing something outside of ourselves. (laughs) And I don't think that makes it like dismissible. For me, I, I think, well, if God made our bodies and made our minds and wants to communicate with humans, it makes sense that God would use our bodies and our minds to communicate with us. So when we're dialing down to enable that a little bit better, sometimes we are just stimulating parts of our brain. But um, maybe if you're neuroatypical or if you have symptoms of mania or psychosis, like your brain overdrive is just, it's just firing in all different directions. I think you've described it as like putting the pedal to the metal with God experiences. Um, But that sometimes your brain needs a little bit of a respite and I know that even if you're not experiencing psychosis, like people can become addicted to experiences. Um, I've seen that more in the Pentecostal world where people will go from like conference to conference looking for that, that sort of high mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I think we're not really meant to be able to continue that kind of high. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Seth? Well,
1: I actually have a story that I thought I could share um, mm-hmm. that I sort of bumped into. And I think after you have an experience like this stories. Parts of stories like stick out for you that might not have before. Hmm. So um, this is a a Jewish legend, and it's called Pardes, uh, the orchard. And um, the the story goes that there were four who entered Pardes, or Paradise. Hmm. Um, The first was, um, I think, Ben... I have it written down so I don't forget. Ben Azai. Oh, there was Benazai, Benzoma, Akher, and Rabbi Akiva. So um, when Ben Benazai went into the garden, um, he gazed and died. When Benzoma went in, he went mad. Um, when Akher went in, he cut down the plantings. And Rabbi Akiva entered in peace and left in peace. And I love this story. There's also sort of an, uh, like, midrash or like a more deeper reading into the story and um there's a thing about um don't speak untruths when you enter the paradise um ben uh, Azai was considered righteous and 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 there's a proverb about um god there's a blessings for those who um die who are righteous um ben zoma the one who went mad was the one that i really like was like oh that's interesting what is that about And uh, there's a proverb there, and it says, um, did you find honey? Don't take more than your, don't, like, don't take more than um, what you need, lest you be overfilled and vomited up. So that's a very (laughs) vivid uh, view of God experiences, but um, it just really um, resonates with me about Um, I I did have God experiences, and I can discern those, but I was overfilled, and my brain was, you know... Mm -hmm. Pedal to the
0: metal or you know that kind of thing so and I find that story helpful because like I would relate to the one who went in peace and came in peace and I'm like, oh yeah <laughs> but of course like you you're like oh this is interesting what's that about and I wouldn't have had sort of that inroad into that particular story or Midrash
1: yeah yeah and, and my, my hope is that for all of us that we can enter um, God's presence in peace and leave in peace and that kind of thing but I think we all have um, you know different experiences and I think I have found that with a faith community and with regular contact with prayer and spiritual practices that I am able to experience more of God without going pedal to the metal, without being overfilled, without go, you know, um, having my symptoms exacerbated. And it's a huge blessing and wonderful for my life.
0: Yeah, which I think some people who experience different mental health issues actually find it helpful to be part of a faith community because it's a place... Um, or we can normalize some of those different wirings, which actually uh, is a place where people can then feel like, like part of the community rather than sort of outside the community or stigmatized by it. Um, there's, there was a, something that you talked to me about when we talked to, about this this week. You said that when you pray or meditate, you have a practice of sort of letting certain things go. Do you mind sharing that? Because I think that could be helpful yeah. for everybody here.
1: It's kind of like my toolkit. So I have my medications. I have my therapist. I have my family and friends. One of my toolkits um, is uh, like practicing um, sort of a meditative approach to God mm-hmm. so um, when i when I was ill, I guess, and experienced uh, God, I was sort of like,
0: "Whoa,
1: you know, um, but what I do now is um, I observe god 's presence with me, whether it's Someone talking to me and reaching out to me in a way that I feel like is from God, or some sort of feeling within myself is from God, and I am so grateful for it, so profoundly grateful for that experience. And I, I observe it, I note it, and then I continue with making my lunch, or going to work, or taking care of my kids. And so, it's sort of in meditation when we take a, we we breathe, Mm -hmm. and we notice a thought arises and then we watch it pass, and we come back to focusing on our breath. And I think a lot in meditation, the thoughts are supposed to be like, ah, get, get away thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? But for me, it's like, oh my gosh, it's God's presence, like stay with me, you are so sweet, you mm-hmm. know? But I know that for me, I have to watch it, and be thankful, and then continue. And that's sort of a tool that I've used for, for that experience, those I think experiences. That's beautiful,
0: because I've had other people um, who are not experiencing mental health symptoms, and Who have told me that sometimes if they get too much into praying or like intercessory prayer, really intense for a long time, it's just exhausting to them. So they don't even want to go there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a helpful tool if you've ever experienced that to feel like, okay, I can, I can feel this thing, say thank you for it, and maybe just sort of release it, and that that's an okay thing to do. I Mm -hmm. think that's really great. So you know, weekly attendance at faith communities we were talking about helps faster recovery and it helps build resiliency for mental health issues. Um, you know there was something actually that my wife Rachel wrote a book about a question she she wrote a book there she interviewed um, queer women who grew up in non-affirming communities but who managed to hold on to some sort of faith or spirituality into their adulthood and your question if it's okay like correct me if I'm speaking for you too much here but Um, The question that you were asking was, man, it seems like being part of a faith community is from a social work perspective or from a therapist perspective, whether or not you actually believe in God, but being part of any kind of faith community, it benefits you like across the board. You live longer, you're healthier, you have better uh, mental health, you have better physical health. And a lot of um, people believe that that's because like just the connections that you make, like your social network is stronger. There's a lot of different reasons for that. And Rachel was saying, well, gosh, like being a queer woman or being people who are queer, is it even healthy for us to be part of a faith community the same way it is healthy for other people to be part of a faith community? And man, that would stink if, you know, if we're missing out on all of the benefits. And what you found was that being part of a faith community, so long as you're fully accepted, is actually really beneficial to you which is why you know, people like us are still here. And I think the same is true for people with mental health issues, that if you're stigmatized, it tends to like, non-normalize that. But if you can be part of a faith community where you can talk about it and be embraced and not be scared of the questions um, of like, is this psychosis? Is this God? Like, those are great questions to ask. You know, um, Tanya Lerman is a, an anthropologist that Ken introduced me to, and some of you here maybe years ago, Tanya Lerman is an anthropologist at Stanford, and I believe she also has a psychiatry degree. So I think she wears... She doesn't. Oh, okay. Psychology. Psychology. Okay. She has a psychology degree as well as anthropology. And I think she would describe herself as agnostic, although it's been a few years since we've talked to her, so I'm not sure where she's at with that. But the question that she asks, she's always been particularly interested in people who experience schizophrenia. So people who actively hear several voices in their heads, and that those are... Um, kind of ongoing, and she asks the question, like, well, how is that any different than people of faith who go to communities and feel like they hear God? Like, are they part of, like, is it all on the same spectrum? What's going on? And she, she has a, a book called When God Talks Back, and she has a wonderful chapter in it called Are They Crazy? I'm talking about Christians. And she spent a few months in, in some churches just kind of talking to and, and studying folks like us. And some of the things that she ended up concluding I thought were helpful for us. And she says that most people who experience hearing from God, they experience that sort of sensory override, meaning like you might have a voice that sort of feels like it interrupts your thoughts or, or whatever. She said those are rare and they're brief for people who experience like they're hearing God. Sometimes they can be startling, but they're rare and they're brief. Um, and this is probably the key element of discerning. She says they're not distressing when they happen. Right, they might startle you, but they're not something that's causing you um, anxiety. And she says that people who report on hearing Jesus um, tend to be acutely aware of what their audience might think about that, as to where people who are experiencing psychosis tend to lack some of the capacity in that moment to uh, be able to read their audience. So that's why like when Ken talked about when we, when we wrote Solace Jesus, we were a little bit hesitant to write about some of our experiences with God, because it's vulnerable and you open yourself to accusations of feeling like, oh, people aren't going to believe this. Um, But even just having that awareness is actually sort of a distinction. Um, And she says that also people who are hearing God or sensing God, there tends to be like a lack of compulsion in the voice of God. So in other words, it's not like God's telling you, you have to do this and you have to do this right now. Like people who maybe are having sort of psycho- uh, a moment of psychosis might experience a voice telling them to go jump off a bridge. And they feel like if they don't do it, you know, something terrible is going to happen. And she said that, like, if it's the voice of God, it's not going to feel commanding. I think I write about that a little in Celest Like I felt like one time God said, you will see Tibet. And for me, it was really, it was a... Um, it was really, I wanted to be careful with that. It wasn't, you will go to Tibet, go to Tibet now, this is what will happen. It, it was more like, I just felt like it was like an invitation. And that people who experience the voice of God often experience it less as like a command and more as, as sort of a, an invitation or practical guidance for something. And that, that tends to be very typical. And she says that audible voices and different forms of hearing God is far more common than we talk about or that we um, know about, and that she went back and looked at some old uh, like surveys that were done in the 1800s all the way through today. She said it's probably anywhere from like 60 to 80 percent of people will say that they've had some kind of mystical experience, but sometimes you had to be specific about your questions in order for them to be like, oh yeah, I guess I've had that. So she's like, you know, it's actually a fairly broad number of people who have these experiences, but she would differentiate between people who are experiencing like extreme psychosis and, um, and people who are saying that they're hearing from God. What I find interesting with Caroline is you saying like, yeah, like, yeah, there are symptoms of psychosis and there's some unhealthy aspects of that that need to be checked against these other things, but that, no, God is still there mm-hmm. and that yeah. God is talking with you in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I experienced God's presence when I was um, experiencing symptoms, and that again has been hard to discern. A few thoughts that mm-hmm. like sparked when you were talking. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, within the mental health field, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, we, we've talked about context and 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 hearing voices within a faith community kind mm-hmm. of normalizes those voices and allows you to continue with your day without distress. Um, but and on the flip side, in the men, in the mental health field. Um, there are, um, like racial implications to diagnoses even, Mm -hmm. so a lot of times people who have, are diagnosed with, um, uh, well, I guess, I've read a study that African American people are more often diagnosed with schizophrenia Schizophrenia. or schizoaffective, and those same symptoms are, um, diagnosed as bipolar in, um, non-people, or white people, I guess, or European Americans, and, um... I I have a very beloved and close friend who was diagnosed with schizophrenia and we've talked about our shared experiences and I've shared some of what I was experiencing and he said, oh my gosh, like that sounds so similar to what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I I haven't heard any voices, but again, I said like the smells and some of the um, thinking everything has great meaning, songs are talking to me and things like that that were um, kind of distressing. But um, I think that, there is a spectrum within the mental health field about how it's um, contextualized. So like Mm. whether it's normalized or seen as um, more stigmatized. And again, those labels can stigmatize you. But then having um, some of those, um, the, the sort of softer sides of it confirmed and validated by a faith community can help it feel less distressing and less, you know, something's wrong with me and more like, oh, it's something that, my brain is, you know, is happening to me.
0: A little interesting note there is that Tanya Lerman, when she studied people in different faith um, communities around the world, like in different contexts, she found that people where voices were uh, normalized or at least thought of in softer terms, like you're describing, actually had fewer symptoms or less distressing symptoms. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and be we, we talk about, them. you know, um, well, there was a study that recently came out, and Emily already mentioned this, about. Um, people who are in non-affirming churches, um, LGBT people who are, um, and actually questioning, was the, the people who are questioning uh, experienced the highest rates of um, suicidal um, thoughts when they were in a non-affirming faith community. So um, again, LGBT people on the whole experienced more of those symptoms in non-affirming faith communities, but those questioning experienced the most. And um, and then also think about the the use of Christianity to uplift white supremacy and the way it's been used over the years to, um, you know, to um, bring people down that aren't of the dominant group. And so I think it's important to be aware of. Um, am I in a faith community that is supportive of me and um, all my identities and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing too and that can help with the mental... Because for me, when I heard that um, involvement in a faith community can help with resilience, Mm -hmm. recovery, long-term mental health stability, I was like, wow, that's awesome because Mm -hmm. I found that to be true for me. And then, but then you hear, but then there are also these other things that you have to be aware of when joining faith communities.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've learned from you, Caroline, is like when I read Lerman, she would say that, you know, the vast majority of people who experience hearing God have zero symptoms of psychosis, right, that they're different things. But I love the voice that you're bringing of saying, you know, like even in that, I still feel like God is with me and in that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. important for us to hear. You know, and that you just have to have different mechanisms for how to slow your brain down and discern which ones are, are God and which ones are maybe, like, lies that are telling you things that maybe wouldn't be healthy for you. Yeah. Um, so here's a question for you. Okay. Why strive to stay well and manage symptoms if you feel like you feel God? Like, it feels... Like, the way you've described psychosis sometimes is, like, it's kind of amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you feel close to God. So why strive to manage your symptoms? Yeah, um... That, I think that, so I,
1: I got my master's degree in women's and gender studies, and I studied resilience in um, women um, who are experiencing mental health distress, <laughs> and um, I looked at resiliency, and one of the things about resilience, uh, resiliency is that um, often you might go through um, a traumatic event in your life or some sort of really difficult thing. And um oftentimes that tearing of for me it was like a tearing of my mind, but maybe uh, death or loss could be like tearing of your social community or your life. Mm. And that um, when, when, um, it, when in studies of resiliency, they show that actually going through the recovery process, that some people end up doing better than they were even before that event, mm-hmm. and that's um, they see that in children a lot when they study mentors and resilience in children. And so for me, I have I do believe that my that, you know, before I experienced this, I, I had this moment with Matt, who is my husband, who's. Um, a scientist he's like an engineer turned doctor and he's very <laughs> rational and he's like you definitely have bipolar disorder and i'm like it was god <laughs> um, but um but, <laughs> but um um he, I remember telling him at one point when I was sort of symptomatic, I said, I want God in this home. I want God in this home. And he was like, What does that mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. I do feel though that like God is in my life on a daily basis. And there's um we're gonna talk about this at the end, but like the fruits of the spirit, like there is love and peace and joy, <laughs> like these things in my life that, that I, I didn't really have before. And so I do feel that there's that resiliency thing where my life is actually from this horrible traumatic experience. um, It's almost like it's not worth it to lose it again. And so I take my meds and I stay connected and I pray and I read the Bible, but I don't, if I start to notice symptoms, I report them to my psychiatrist because it's not worth it to me to, to go to the hospital again. I have two kids. Like, it's just, I have more at stake Mm-hmm. than to go into this sort of honey-filled, stay thou art so sweet um, mm-hmm. <laughs> moments that mania can bring.
0: Yeah, I think that story that you have shared is really, it's, it's been helpful for me as I've tried to just listen and understand you. I was just saying, it feels like a, it's all good, but it's like if I eat too much, I'll vomit.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I need to kind of keep it even for mm-hmm. my life yeah. to remain
1: yeah.
0: sort of manageable. Like there's things that you can lose yeah, yeah when you go... Uh, if you put the pedal to the metal uh, too much. So I know when we were, we sat down and had a conversation last Wednesday, and Mm -hmm. one of the things that I found really interesting was I was just kind of asking about, gosh, were there any scriptures or any stories that had been helpful to you in this? And it was kind of interesting because a a couple of the scriptures that Caroline mentioned are stories I never would have seen in the same way. So I wonder if maybe you could just share a couple of those.
1: Yeah, so um, talking to a a Community that likes Jesus. Um, One that really struck home for me was um, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, There's a verse, and I actually I wrote the verse. I'll just read it. It's Mark four. It's it's Mark three twenty one, and it says, um, "When his family heard it, they went out to restrain his. Get a little emotional. Um, When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying he has gone out of his mind."
0: Because she's been and, physically restrained.
1: Yeah. And um, when I read that, I was like, not, it was less about, um, it was less about uh, I'm out of my mind and Jesus is not, but they thought he was. And so they went to restrain him. But I just felt so not alone, like, yeah, you know, sorry. I felt, I felt less alone and I, yeah. and I felt validated in that, like, um, he knew what that felt like Yeah, and, and, and there was the empathy there.
0: Yeah, and I thought that's interesting because, like, I've resonated with that verse for other reasons in my life, and I thought, when I went back to look at it, I thought, out of this, I was like, was that there? And it is there, and it was, this, like, the verses before, after Caroline told me about this, um, it says that there was a rumor spreading that Jesus was filled with an evil spirit, which some scholars think was how they describe certain, you know, different psychosis or different things. And so I think there's a very valid reading there that maybe his mom and his siblings came to get him because they'd heard that he was out of his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, wow, I've just never looked at it that way. And you feeling like a solidarity, like Jesus has been there with you in the psychosis or in, many of us have different mental health issues, that Jesus is with us in that, knows what that feels like, is a real comfort. Um, there were a couple more that I was going to say. Yeah, okay? I would do, yeah, a little bit brief, I think, just for time. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, so one, I was teaching to the youth group and it was, I was telling Emily, like, there's another one about Ezekiel, you know, and like <laughs> God told Ezekiel to cook his bread on human dung. And, you know, Ezekiel, of course, is like, never, Lord, never, like, I, I this, you know, <laughs> unclean. And so he said cow's dung, but like, um, you know, just kind of the, the scriptures are full of stories of People um, experiencing or, or maybe doing these odd things that can make you feel less alone. And it's not to say that it's like, again, like it's a humbling, terribly humbling experience to go through um, yeah. mental health problems. Yeah. Um, but the humor in it is there. And, yeah. and it's so warming and helpful.
0: Like Ezekiel, he laid on his, side, his left side for an entire year. And if I knew of somebody doing that, I would, I would probably call <laughs> you know like i would probably call for help for them and so i love that you can look at some of the some of the things that the prophets did is like oh yeah that's I, I can feel some like embrace there mm-hmm. and as we talked it started to make me think like even just within our own tradition like neurodiversity or quote-unquote madness um, can be used in really spiritually redemptive ways you know, if you look back in the Christian tradition, you've got like Teresa of Avila who talked about she talked about union with God. She was a nun and a, a saint who wrote a, a, a book called, is um, it The Interior Castle is her, mm-hmm. her famous yeah. book. And she talks about like union with God as this incredible ecstatic experience and almost like you become so absorbed in God. And I thought, man, if I ever ran into her, I would think she was obsessive or really fixated maybe unhealthily on something, and yet God has used that actually to talk to a lot of people and train us about what mystical experience can be like, or even Saint Francis, who I'd read a couple of different biographies of, just because I think he's he's fascinating. You know, he's like the patron saint of animals. And a few years back, Rachel heard a, a presentation on Saint Francis that was, um, I think, really interesting, where somebody was reading him as as having like reliving his trauma. So the thing about St. Francis is he grew up rich. He was the son of a rich merchant, and he went off to war against another warring state in Italy, and he got taken as a prisoner of war. And there he was beaten, and he was deprived of food and water and um, all sorts, and um, left in the cold. And when he got through with that experience, he came back and he renounced all of his wealth and he started a little movement of people. And Francis had some pretty extreme things that he did. He would, he would like self-flagellate, you know, like where you take a whip and you'd whip yourself. He was known for going and like rolling around naked in the snow and for sleeping with no blankets and going for many, many days or weeks without food. And those were really extreme. And I thought, well, that's an interesting lens to look at that and say, oh, he probably had PTSD pretty severely and he was reliving his trauma And replaying it out and inviting other people into that playing out, which I would say, wow, that doesn't seem real healthy, and it's not. But yet, God was able to use that as to where the movement that St. Francis started, there were some good parts of it that actually started a little bit of a, um, what would you say, a uh, revival of sorts Mm -hmm. in Europe. And Francis was one that had he built bridges between Islam and Christianity. He became friends with one of the sultans during a time when the two were at war. And So in other words, beautiful things can kind of come out of this as well, and I think that can help people who are wired differently to be able to look back through our tradition and find different things and be like, okay, not all of that may have been healthy for them, but yet God is still there and can still use them. Does that seem yeah. like a fair thing? Yeah. So to wrap it up, I would say that you know last week Ken described... Um, experiencing God or learning to hear God's voice is being a little bit like learning to taste wine well, right? That when you first start tasting wine, you might not be very good at distinguishing the different aspects of it, but, and you might not even have the language to describe it. But the more that you do it, the more you gain some of the language, and the people that you're talking with and in community with can help you to fine-tune that and to discern that. And the same is true with mystical encounters, that we learn this language to describe and that while most of us don't have like a sensory overload like what you experience sometimes, um, you know, I, I relate to having brief, non-distressing, like guiding us kinds of experiences of God. I think there there are takeaways that we can find ourselves with this. Um, you know, if I were just going to sum up, what are things like baseline things we can do to discern if if what we're hearing is from God? Um, I would say that God is not violent, and so beware of people who are calling you to arms. You know, there have been people throughout history who have said they heard from God, that God was telling them to like lead the apocalypse or something. Just saying, you know, if somebody's looking at something with violence, that we serve a nonviolent God. Um, beware of claims of grandiosity. You know, that oftentimes when people hear from God, it's practical guidance and not like some great big like there's a there's a church and I won't name it just for the sake of but I don't need to. But it has some pretty global influence in Kansas City, and they, they truly believe that they are called to bring on the second coming of Jesus and that their church is going to be the cause of that. I'm wary of that. Right? So having wariness of claims of grandiosity, the number one thing that we can do is use the fruit of the Spirit as a test. And this is what Caroline was alluding to. The fruit of the Spirit is a list of attributes that Paul names in the Corinthians. He says, if something is of God, it will bring love. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, some of us know the music, what was that, the music machine, right? The fruits of the spirit. And I think that that's really really key, that if you feel like you're hearing from God and it's not feeling gentle, or if you're feeling like your life is um, out of control, I think self-control is a big thing. Run it through that list and see, like, is this bringing goodness to my life? And if not, feel empowered to be like, you know, maybe that's not of God. Right? And to let that go. Mm-hmm. You have anything you want to wrap up with? Yeah, well, um, just
1: mentioning that, you know, God is a non-violent God. And um, a lot of times we hear sort of these salacious stories about people with mental health problems mm-hmm. that are doing violent or crazy things. This is important. And... Um, you know, they've done studies that people who experience symptoms of mental illness are ten times more likely to be victims of violence than they are to be, yeah. like, um, perpetrators, perpetrators of violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. But also, when you're a victim of violence, like she was sharing about um, St. Francis, you mm-hmm. you might experience symptoms of mental illness like PTSD or those kinds of things. And so I just wanted to, like, affir- you know, reaffirm what she said about um, what Emily said about the fruits of the spirit and also remember that you are empowered to dismiss or reject or um, even push back mm-hmm. against those um, like negative and harmful messages that your brain might yeah. be sending you that are not from God. And they're, they're not from God. And you're empowered to say no to those things. And that, um, and that yeah, the fruits of the Spirit can help you to discern those. Um, those. So, and... Thank you. No, I was going to say I, thank I re- you. I really appreciate being yes. able to share about my experience. And again, I feel this is a great community and a
0: wonderful place to be able to be vulnerable. Um, and thanks for letting us learn from you and for letting me learn from you. As you learn to just be a better um, community and for me to help better pastor people who experience different forms um, of mental health issues. So. And
1: I, I, one last thing is the, the yeah, most important it. thing, I think, for me is that these experiences glorify God. And that and all the things that I've gone through and all the difficulties or you know, that, that we glorify God in, in all mm-hmm. that we do. And I hope that this was a conversation that glorified God.
0: Yeah. yeah. Can we give Carol a big hand? Thank you. Thanks,